This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Tempo. Dedicated to providing nonstop energy, Tempo natural supplements guarantee you'll never miss a beat thanks to its special formulation of natural ingredients and essential nutrients made only with the safest standards. Tempo's most popular supplement, F-Coffee, will give you clarity and focus without all those nasty caffeine side effects like the jitters. Check it out at meetempo.com. That's M-E-E-T-T-E-M-P-O.com. Find your rhythm with Tempo. Hey everyone, it's your host Chris Luminati, and welcome to another episode of Not About Wrestling. On the show today, I'm talking to writer and lifelong wrestling fan Kenny Herzog. Kenny's currently the digital content director at Entrepreneur Media, but he's written about professional wrestling for countless of outlets, including Rolling Stone, New York Magazine, Vulture, Esquire, The Ringer, and dozens more. He's also the host of his own podcast, Outside Interference with Kenny Herzog that you can listen to on MLW Radio. Kenny and I talk about his writing background and his extensive coverage of all things wrestling. We also discuss our attempts to avoid spoilers and how hard that is these days, some of the popular conspiracy theories in professional wrestling, and the future of the sport after the pandemic ends. And now, entering the ring, this is Kenny Herzog. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Not About Wrestling. I'm Chris Luminati. With me today is Kenny Herzog. Kenny, what's up, my friend? Hey, Chris. Uh, well, since, of <laughs> course, we were talking before you officially hit record, you know more or less what's going on. But for the sake of the audience, yes, everything's cool. Everything is cool. Uh, you are my first. Uh, so the show is really not about wrestling, but we sometimes talk about wrestling. You're my first non-performer. You know, Ooh. yeah, you and I both work behind the computer and we'll get to that, you know, in a little bit, but, you know, just to catch everybody up to speed, tell us what you do, you know, how long you've been doing it. Give us your little bio. Huh. It's like, it's like when I talk to my therapist and she says, so yeah. what can you tell me about Kenny Herzog? And I, <laughs> and it's always the same riff. Well, it was a cool night in June, 1979. <laughs> Were you born in June? I was born on June 2nd, 1979. Nice. I'm June 21st. Both of oh, that June same 20th. year? No, 77. I'm a oh, little wow. older. I'm a little older. Older man, older man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my, my wife's, what's the difference? She's June 78. So there you go. There you uh, go. <laughs> so besides that biographical uh, datum, mm-hmm. I am presently, my full-time job is as a digital content director for Entrepreneur Media, who publish Entrepreneur Magazine and Entrepreneur.com. So... Just to back up though, my history with wrestling is um, having been a lifelong wrestling fan and a career journalist for 20 years, I began covering wrestling whenever I could for local media when I was younger and, um, and then eventually worked my way up to being able to cover it nationally for outlets, including Rolling Stone, The Ringer, Bleacher Report, Vulture. I've written about wrestling for even Tablet and for, and for Slate and 
anyone you can think of and been on you know, a bunch of related podcasts and now have a podcast of my own that I will plug later so I can let you now do your job. You can plug it as many times as you want. Outside interference with Kenny. <laughs> I do listen. We will talk about it. Okay. No, it's fine. It's called Outside Interference with Kenny Herzog. It's part of the MLW Radio Network, but it covers the, the spectrum of things going on in the world and in wrestling. And, um, and it goes live every, usually every other Tuesday. And uh, this coming Tuesday is the next one. So walk me back. Uh, let, let's talk about your journey to becoming a wrestling fan. How did you, how did it work? Like, what did you do? I wonder if someone's ever come on and said, well, I first got introduced by watching the original Glow. Uh, <laughs> hey, I watched the original Glow. I, I did, loved. I did. Yes, it wasn't my gateway drug, but it was like one of. Well, and it probably was a gateway of sorts for a lot of, especially I'm sure women fans. So I don't mean to in, you know, diminish that. Mm. Um, Spike and Chainsaw were, were terrifying. So <laughs> uh, yeah, I was hooked early. I mean, I like yourself. I was mm -hmm. very much of the Hulkamania generation, but I also immediately sought out sort of stuff that felt sort of richer and more almost verite, you know, so I was really into the AWA reruns on ESPN. Mm -hmm. um, I was, I was seeking out, I was seeking out WCCW stuff. Um, and then as I matured into uh, being a teenager, you know, the Attitude Era converged with, you know, ECW and I was always um, seeking out ECW stuff, even if I was just watching sort of late night infomercially things they were putting out that would air at two in the morning and show you highlight reels of Sabu jumping you know, through off, off of ceilings. Um, and I, you know, I was like everyone, I waxed and waned a little bit with, with the times and with the tides, but it's been a pretty constant lifelong obsession. And specifically as I got older, really obsessed with kind of the way that wrestling um, was a, uh, was, was kind of at the center of a Venn diagram of just a lot of different parts of the culture. So that's the short answer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to I'm going to imagine because I think we didn't grow up too far from each other you grew up in New York correct right? I yes I grew up um in, first in Queens and then Long Island okay so I grew up in Jersey so kind of close but um it might have been the same for you so for me where I'm located for some reason I didn't just get like WWF and WCW like like you said I would get AWA on ESPN I would sometimes get, I think World Class might have been on ESPN for a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, would, I don't know if it was on ESPN. It might have been on TBS, but it was regardless. Yeah, something, yeah. But I would always have these, like, for some reason, I got exposed to a lot of different wrestling because of the cable. Because where I sit, I'm, like, halfway between New York, halfway between Philadelphia. So I would mm. get these, like, two competing cable things. And I would get, like, all this different wrestling. Plus, I grew up on the, like, after mags and that kind of stuff the weekly go to the, so I had a lot of wrestling coming in. And I think that's what made me, I don't know if I would have been as hardcore of a fan if I only had one federation to watch. Well, and it makes you wonder too, you know, what a lost generation of kids who were say our age, who were growing up in these areas that used to be really, um, you know, robust territories, but maybe that once they came of age, they were consolidated because of w, mm -hmm. WF mm -hmm. um, and they weren't suddenly in a wasteland, you know, like, right like so many states that are absent of a home baseball team. Um, so yeah, we were, you're right. I mean, it was, we were um, very fortunate to have a lot of televised content and um, really sat at the kind of end of one era and, mm -hmm. and the beginning of another. And, and I think we picked up a lot of weird stuff on the, on, the, on the fringes and on the periphery of the usual dial as a result of that. I don't want to be the old man who shakes his fist at clouds, but what are uh, 
what are some of the things that you miss about, you know, old territorial wrestling days? Are you shaking your fist at iClouds or at actual? Uh, yes. At, well, iClouds, I don't even want to get into. Actually, I just got, <laughs> so uh, we talked about it before. I just got a new computer and uh, I'm actually in a state of panic trying to think about moving stuff from the old computer to the new computer. And like, I'm not, so I'm not the cloud guy and I didn't put a lot of stuff in the cloud. So I'm like literally dragging things into a desktop folder that I plan on I drop boxing to myself. I don't know. <laughs> it, I don't it's, know a gonna work. <laughs> it's a kind of metaphor for what we're talking about. Yeah, so maybe. I am yelling at clouds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe, I don't know if it's a metaphor in reverse or what, but in any event, um, is there anything from, from the way things used to be that I miss? Yeah. I think a lot of us sort of, kind of, maybe miss kayfabe. And you mentioned to me um, before we started recording about you know when MJF came on in character, which is his deal. And I think there's, a, um, there's something to be said for that, like anything else that could become overdone. But um, I miss a little, I miss the mystique. I miss not knowing everything about everything. Um, mm -hmm. You know, dirt sheets used to be something that you had to be really hardcore about. But now wrestling, f all wrestling fans at every l degree of engagement sort mm -hmm. of engage in the like stories behind the stories and what's going on behind the scenes. And it makes things a little less fun. Um, and I don't know, um, off the top of my head, because the quality of the product is is you know pretty good you know the yes. the quality yes. of wrestling we see is pretty good yes. and i can't say i miss guys looking like they're actually acting out an 8-bit nintendo wrestling <laughs> game right uh, what about i mean what about you you know um i miss the genuine like surprise when something happens and i try to um even though we both do this for a living and we write about wrestling and stuff like i try to not pay attention to what's going on just so when I do sit down and watch some of the shows I'm genuinely surprised yet to do that much like with movies and tv shows and everything I I have to ignore like all social media and everything because it's going to like if I follow something on twitter like a headline is going to like go okay that just ruined it like the, like I wasn't a fan of the whole retribution thing but the Mustafa Ali thing got ruined for me before I could even watch the show. And I'm right. like, well, Christ's sakes, why am I going to watch? Like, you know, that would have made sense if it was shocking to me. And well, there are people who, it's, it's different strokes. Like, yeah, we're, we're used to, we're of an age, mm. not that we're old, but we're old in sort of media terms, where we had no choice but to have patience for mm. things, have yeah. patience for this new album to come out, have patience for, uh, you know, this new, yeah, this new, this story arc in wrestling to play itself out. So it, we're just wired a little differently that way, but there's a whole generation that they love feeling like they're in control and they, when they can know what's about to happen and then see it happen, there's something as exciting about that for them because I think it's a virtual, it becomes a virtual experience for them and this whole culture now is about, you know, is about virtual engagement and feeling like you're not just passive in the experience. I too had that reaction. I, the Ali thing, I still think it's, it was a weird, um, it's, we can discuss you know, whether that's like an interesting twist or not, but it was a twist and I would have liked for it to have been not spoiled. You actually spoiled something for me on Twitter. Crap, I was gonna I'm sorry. call you out on it. No, the, uh, this week on Raw, I believe it was something minor, but uh, you know. Well, I only tweeted about two things. I think I tweeted about Otis. Was it wasn't Otis? I only wrote Otis with with exclamation points. Okay. <laughs> okay. And then the other thing, it was it was it WWE? Did I ruin or AEW? Uh, it was probably WWE, but you know, I, I water under well, the bridge. I, I do remember what I said. I said, 
they built up retribution for months only to have them yes. get wasted by the hurt business and then the fiend yes. <laughs> like in the same segment <laughs> correct and I, you know I, I i i you know you know i was having a damn you, you know, illuminati which is a weird thing too right because this is the first time we've seen each other's faces but i already yes. have this idea of you and and i'm and i'm damning you so like i'm sitting there going oh how can i ruin it for kenny <laughs> <laughs> um Thanks. Everything was ruined for me from the the, the moment I I arrived on that <laughs> thing in 1979. <laughs> has Has there been anything recently that did kind of shock you? Ooh, that's fun. Um, some of the AEW debuts have been fun. Um, you know, I, I didn't know Matt Cardona was going to appear, right? And that's like mm. a, that's a fun thing. And I um, I did not know Miro was going to appear, and that's because, like you, I try not to really. Let me let me be careful there. I love the wrestling blogs, like and and I historically have read them, but I try not to get too in the weeds about spoilers and and stuff for for the reasons we're talking about. Right. Um, what's what other surprises? Jeez, it's mm. a good question. I'm 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 on the spot. It's hard to think about even going back the last few years. What was one? Oh shit! I didn't know that was going to happen. Was there one return or that was really special? Um, it's, I'm just blanking off, off the top of my head. I think the, um, even though the AJ Styles debut was anticipated in WWE, still his entrance and not at first hearing that music and not knowing exactly what you were hearing and then yeah. seeing is it gonna be and then it was him and um, that was fun. That was one of the last ones I remember feeling like, um, you know, that's a real, a real crowd pleaser. <laughs> yeah, there are ways that they can get around like, uh, I think a lot of the time, especially not so much recently, but a lot of them, they were like telegraphing the surprises. Like you knew this person signed, you knew this person was coming, and then a segment would come up and you'd go, okay, well, here's naturally where so-and-so is going to come out. Right. With the Miro thing, like they went through so many possible best mans that you were like, okay, this is just a, a joke segment and it's going to be nobody. And like, and then when he came out, you were genuinely like, holy crap, like I can't yeah. believe that's who it is. I also, I talked to, uh, I want to say it was Scorpio Sky about this, but I asked name him. Name dropper. I, I am. I'm going to name drop. Well, I've only done like for, the, for this podcast, like literally like six interviews. <laughs> right, right, so I right. Could only, I can only be mistaking it. I know it wasn't Dalton. <laughs> so I think it was Scorpio. So I, I was saying that, I, and I never want to look at COVID as a positive, but one no of the things. Intended. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things I feel is with closed sets now, stuff does not leak out as much because there's only certain people there who are not like, you don't have 75 people who happen to be on staff, like at the arena who have nothing to do with the show, who like wrestling, who are like, Oh, I just saw so-and-so, you know, and like to ruin it for, you know, casual fans or mm. internet yeah. fans. Interesting. I mean, it's, it's like, it's as if they're better about not transmitting information about what's going on behind the scenes than they are about transmitting the actual virus amongst each other. It's yeah, irony. They, they are. And when someone does transmit information, that person kind of gets blackballed, except they go to the back to the other federation where they're dating somebody and they get signed <laughs> back on <laughs> the developmental. So, you know, he's got no choice, but <laughs> it's, I feel like more, even more than in, than in acting in the acting profession and obviously wrestlers are entertainers, but I feel like, um, it's just wrestlers can really only date other wrestlers because who is going to appreciate, understand and share that same hybrid mind about what they do for a living? You know, it really is like, you know, carnies date carnies. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I don't mean to, I mean, that sounds like <laughs> they a do. shitty thing to say. <laughs> um, I've never had a friend go, hey, I'm starting to date a carny. 
Yeah. <laughs> unless it was, uh, unless her last name was Wilson. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah. Oh, oh. Uh, I was about to make a hold on joke, but I don't think anyone would get it. <laughs> um, but let's get back. So real quick, something we, we just talked about that is kind of interesting. Uh, QAnon is in the news a lot today. Like not just today, but like every day. Don't you feel professional wrestling is very QAnon? Like the conspiracy <laughs> theories that go on about wrestling. Like take for example, so what we were just alluding to before was a guy who dated, dates one of someone on the WWE roster, was with AEW for a little while, leaked out some information, and now he's magically just back with the Federation. And it feels very like, you know, <laughs> conspiracy theorists, like he was gone, he went with the other Federation, he leaked something out, and then now he's back. Like, do you believe in that kind of stuff? Or is it just uh like I, I mean, all right. So, what are we? Are we? Are we now? Are we trying to assess um, the credibility of this specific theory about this specific performer, or are we talking about overall conspiratorial culture? O overall, <laughs> do you? Let, let's talk about the overall conspiracy. Like, let's talk about one big one that people always like. Growing up, people believed that I don't think is true at all. People believed that the Montreal screw job was a work. Right. Red Hart went to WCW and like ripped them apart from the inside. Right. He was I like think, a, a spy. <laughs> I think the one thing about wrestling that's great and that every wrestler will uphold like their omerta is not, it's no longer kayfabe. It's more, it's something meta. It's, it's something, uh, you know, where you always have to, you can always, it's possible that you're always being gaslit. It's possible that you're always gaslighting yourself. It's possible that, um, you know, no one knows anything or everyone knows everything and wrestling becomes this thing where logic just completely uh, eats itself and it is maddening and crazy making and it's it's sort of beautiful and I think the, the paranoia that's nest that now is sort of essential to being a wrestling fan has been is the substitute for what simply used to be very sort of a straight delineated kayfabe you know real life dichotomy um, that you know with with an impenetrable boundary in in between so I, I don't get. I don't really spend too much time speculating on the likely veracity of different con specific conspiracies <laughs> that are out there in the wrestling world. But I do love the way that wrestling makes you question your reality constantly. Well, and let me ask you. So that brings us to a good point because we're both writers. We both talk to wrestlers. Yeah. And we are writing from. We are trying to be truth based, but we are talking to people who work in a profession that isn't very truth-based. So do you find it hard to like get an interview out of a person where you're like, okay, is he really, or is he or she, are they kayfabing right now? Are they shooting? Are they working? Like, what are they doing? I mean, I, I obviously won't speak for, for you. Uh, for me, um, and having interviewed a lot of wrestlers over the years, I, I find it's most interesting to get them to kind of talk about their personal story because if I get into actually if I get into storylines or if I get into kind of the business um, then it's where then then you don't know you know if they're just sort of continuing to add to um, the mythology of something or if they're or, or, or you know they don't you just don't know you're no longer in control of the conversation mm -hmm. and, and in conversation of the story that you're telling so um, yeah I I've always, I always found it fascinating with WWE talent in particular, where you would think that they would try and still sort of keep 
certain things guarded um, and protected, but they would always give you just enough. If, if you were interviewing Roman Reigns or Seth Rollins or any of these guys that I might've talked to, um, they gave you just enough to kind of keep the blogs chirping and, and, and right. wet people's appetites, but you never felt like, you've always felt like they were holding back on, um, on, the, on the full sort of trade secrets of things. Mm-hmm. Sorry, it's a long-winded. <laughs> so how do you feel about uh, the WWE kind of like clamping down on people, not having like their own, you know, their Twitch accounts, you know, taking those over? Like, how do you feel, you know, because they are real people, but they're also wrestlers and it's kind of like there's this weird gray area of stuff so i mean i can't imagine why wwe would want to let them make uh you know let them do anything that they don't get a piece of i'm not saying i agree with it i'm not mm-hmm. saying it's right or fair i'm just it, it, especially in the times we're in where they're having to cut costs you know if if it's you know whenever someone does a movie while they're in wwe it's it's because it's a wwe studios picture and like they're involved with it in some way and and it's and the, the risk, the cost benefit is that, okay, they'll be off TV for six months, but, but then they're going to be promoting this product that's going to, um, you know, bring further visibility to our brand and, and, and sell, you know, or, or be streamed, you know, 4 million times. I, I, you know, um, um, to answer your question most directly, I'm not sure. I honestly don't know how I feel about this whole <laughs> thing. I know it's a hot topic. I'm curious how you feel. I just, yeah, on some level it's bullshit, and then on the other level it's business. I just sort of throw my hands up. He, uh, I actually switched sides the other day, and I was mm-hmm. completely uh, wrestler side. I'm like, that's their thing. They're doing Twitch on the side. You can't take that away from them. Until I was listening to, and I'm going to plug another podcast here, but that, I mean, mm-hmm. not that they need it, but the Something to Wrestle podcast mm-hmm. with Bruce Pritchard, and they weren't even talking about this. But Bruce Pritchard made a comment, and I think they were talking about the, the, the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior DVD. And he kind of alluded to saying like, that it was kind of a regrettable thing, but they weren't talking about Jim Helwig. The, they, weren't, they were talking about Jim Helwig, the person, not Ultimate Warrior, the character and actor. And when he said that, I was like, yeah, he is kind of a character and actor in the WWE. Right. Therefore, all of these people are kind of character and actors. So you wouldn't let Daniel Craig start a James Bond Twitter account and tweet as James Bond because that's his character and that applies to someone else. It gets a little murky because some of the people really are the character that they portray. Sure. It gets kind of weird there, but I can see WWE arguing that these are the characters and actors that we have built. You can't go do something else that affects what we're doing over here. It it gets into such semantics, right? Because you know, for instance, this Daniel Bryan is not someone who's on Twitch, as far as I know, right? But if, <clears throat> but to your point about the murkiness, Daniel Bryan, his screen name is essentially just you know an inversion of his of his real name, right? So uh, give or take a SON. Um, <laughs> so yeah, if he decided he was gonna be on Twitch as Daniel O'Brien and you could say, actually that's, um, you know, that's all, that we need a piece of that because you're not doing it as, Dan- as Brian Daniel's son. You know, it gets very, you know, mm-hmm. you're splitting hairs, but that's, but 
that's of course it's a it's a corporation <laughs> i feel like the top people get away with more well you know <laughs> yeah i mean in any job you know yes <laughs> and i say that because the other day i don't know if you saw it um charlotte flair signed with vayner sports mm, which not. is a so she, she signed with Vayner Sports, which is a company that goes out and gets you other stuff besides wrestling. So she's allowed to sign with a company that gets her other opportunities while these wrestlers aren't allowed to play Double Dragon on. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, first of all, they're grown up, grown men, and they shouldn't be playing Double Dragon anyway. But the other thing I would say You're is. You're going to get some Double Dragon hate. Hey, <laughs> uh, you know, I. I, I, I I'm not, I, yeah, I'm, I'm Send no, all double no. dragon hate to at Kenny Herzog. <laughs> <laughs> and I can, you know, they can all go fuck themselves. So um, my, uh, my, I think what I was going to say was, look, if you're WWE, you can say, hey, you're welcome to go work for an independent again, and then you can do whatever you want, but you're here now. And it's, it's you know, there's a degree of non-competition that has, that we have to sort of, you know, expect mm-hmm. um, in good faith, if not in, in, literal you know scripture um and perhaps that's something now that they should have been more had more foresight about that we're seeing these these different media different this different media sort of arise and it's something our our entertainers are probably going to want to be a part of and we should create something some language in our in our terms in our terms in our contract to sort of anticipate that and so that it's i think maybe they're sort of uh, playing catch up a little bit and that's unfair if these wrestlers were, were ahead of the curve and they're taking advantage of something you know that's should be should be encouraged but um again I, I you know i see i do see both sides and i um i just also don't understand why anyone wants to watch Paige, you know play video games in her beanie you know, <laughs> but whatever do you uh, do, do you have kids i have two which is roughly two more than i probably should have had okay so your kids don't watch, are they old enough to watch people play video games on other? Yeah, they, they watch YouTube. Because mine do, and yeah. like, I don't get it either, but. <laughs> yeah, it's this, it's this more, again, it's this weird, there's, there's the virtual experience that I described before where you're really in the driver's seat. And then there's this other thing where you're, that our kids do now where they're at um, a degree of, rem- they're, they're virtually engaged, but at a degree of remove. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they're, uh, uh, Sam Wheat and Ghost when he's watching uh, the, the the souls attack uh, the guy who killed uh, who killed him at the end of the movie. But <laughs> that's right, Sam Sam Wheat. Sam that's a good that's a good call. I, I wouldn't even know. I know his name was Sam. I wouldn't. Know his name. <laughs> I wish I'd remembered the um, the uh, the killer's name. So um, where was I going with that? Well, your kids, yeah. the virtual. Yeah. They like you know he watches you know my my oldest son watches. YouTube videos of weird ninja kids. They call themselves like the ninja family. Yeah. My doing kids gymnastics training. A little, I, so who the hell knows? Well, let me tell you what my kid did yesterday. Now, a lot of this has to do with the world we're living in. Like, they can't all be together. You know, the, the COVID, the like schooling, like they can't all. But this is what happened yesterday. And like, I didn't know what was going on until I walked past his room. Uh, so they got done school at one. They're on Google Meet. Him and mm-hmm. his friends stayed on the Google Meet. My friend, my son took his laptop, faced it towards the television, <laughs> and started playing a video game while his friends on the Google Meet watched him play the game. Kinky. And I'm like, 
that is super boring. Yeah, <laughs> like, dude. They're talking, but his friends were like, no, go that way, go that way. And they're like telling him what to do on the video game while he's playing it and his laptop is facing the computer. And I'm like, it's so foreign, I don't get it. But- it's, it, it it's what my son does too. He, he'll, he'll FaceTime yeah. on his mom's phone because I don't get involved in that. He'll <laughs> FaceTime on his mom's phone with his friend and set the phone down and vice versa while they're playing Prodigy, this game on their, on their Chromebooks that they got mm. from school. So that's this, the remote learning has sort of created this whole other sort of cottage thing of the way kids are, are, uh, are, are meta, you know, uh, participating with each other in this stuff. But you're right. Um, it's insane. And it makes me think, geez, you know, COVID notwithstanding, uh, there was something that you could just, there's something to be said for just, you know, being in your friend's room and, and cheering him on as he's playing, you know, Nintendo from when we were kids. Right. But, but I'm a person who resists automation at almost every stage and often because I find it to be counterintuitive as it ultimately is when someone's watching someone watch something, watch something. Mm-hmm. Again, COVID being sort of an extenuating circumstance. I'm not sure if I'm addressing what you're addressing. Yeah. I'm just... <laughs> Well, talking let's talk about so let's talk about the writing you uh got into writing was it right out of college like did you write in college how did that go yeah i uh actually i was a uh as a creative writing major with a concentration in poetry Ooh. yeah at the university That's, at albany how many big bucks is that raked in oh uh not enough where my wife doesn't continue to have to work 10 times as hard as I do to, (laughs) to compensate. So so I, but I, I I got into journalism in college and, um, and found my calling as it were. And that was it. I got, as soon as I got out of school, it's a different path now, right? Now you can create a brand while you're in college. You can create a a social media presence. You can be an influencer um, and, and that's it. And, for me, as I'm sure it was for you, it was a little more brick and mortar. I, you know, I worked for an awful, well, I shouldn't say that. I worked for a business publication in a Joe versus the Volcano-like office. And then I worked at a little turn to weekly paper. And then I worked at a music magazine. And then I started working online. And then I've worked at a million different online places and freelanced a lot. And now I'm working at Entrepreneur Media. So it's, you know, man, it's, it's about as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> Do you, do you have this experience? This happens to me like all the time. It just actually happened at the dentist this morning. Mm. So telling people or people asking if you're a writer, it's fun to talk about, but when you really get down to it, it's like, it's a really stressful, <laughs> like <laughs> if I'm at parties, I'm like, people are like, oh, you're a writer. Yes, I'm a writer. And then you think about, oh my God, there's so much shit that goes into that. <laughs> that like, so I feel like talking about it is more fun than actually doing it. Yeah, that's probably true. And and it draws out some anecdotes. I'm giving a talk to a, a virtual talk to a class of college kids next week. And it's probably going to make what I do sound interesting. And I'm going to suddenly be, look, you know, think like, wow, you know, I've had a really good, good, interesting career. And then go back to just my couch where I would just be do, doing, you know, editing and a publishing tool on my laptop before <laughs> I pick up my kids from school and like, and, and rinse repeat. Yeah. So um, it's not exotic. It's not glamorous. There was a time where it was. We got in good, we had a good run as wrestling fans as a kids, but we missed out on really what would have was, was a good time to be, good fun time to be a decently paid journalist who traveled and had really, yeah. a real experiential time. We just missed it. 
We did just miss it. We have it. I have millennial and Gen Z colleagues who think they missed our experience, but I assure them that we weren't exactly, um, you know, Lester Bangs, you know, Trip and Light Fantastic. We were just, uh, um, you know, Hunter S. Thompson's miserable rotting corpse. <laughs> do you remember the? Do you remember the first wrestling thing you got paid to write? Totally. That's a fun question. Um, yes, it was two thousand and two. And I did a story where I went to a show um, uh, set up by a promotion that I believe was called like U, ugh, who knows, like U Alphabet Soup, UAW or something like yeah. that. But a guy named Frank Goodman, who's still out there in the world, was the promoter. And it was at an Elks Lodge in Queens and uh, Balls Mahoney, Sabu, guys like that were on the show. And I basically just did a kind of day in the life, you know, colorful, you know, I was there from setup to break down uh, sort of story for this um, paper I was working for that at the time was well it was called the Long Island Press and might have but it was initially called like the New Island Ear and then it evolved into the Long Island Press it was an alt weekly so that was the first thing um and then they uh they let me indulge myself every now and again to do wrestling stuff so I did like a a Johnny Valiant uh profile and um I did interviews with you know folks like the Dudley Boys and 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 things of that nature so that was that was that was my that was me getting my uh, my feet wet covering covering the sport in the early to mid two thousands. Do you remember your first like fanboy experience? Ooh, um, yeah. As a journalist, yeah. I mean, I, the, the, the meeting the Dudley Boys when they were really at their peak at WWE mm -hmm. was fun, um, and just sort of seeing how what ordinary guys you know they were. But I would also say, uh, somewhat unexpectedly to me, in two thousand fourteen. It was the last Raw before WrestleMania 30 at the Barclays Center. And I was doing a story on Daniel Bryan for Rolling Stone. And I was backstage and just, it is that thing. It felt like, I felt like the Cameron Crowe uh, character in Almost Famous where he's walking around backstage and he's just dizzied because of all these, these different, you know, characters walking by him, you know, you know, just Randy Orton bumping into you and pardoning himself or, mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, you know, um, Alicia Fox making eye content with you and going, hey, like, even though she has no idea who the hell you are, and you're like, what world am I in right now? And, and you know, that was me. And then just sitting backstage, you know, with the, you know, Daniel and, and his wife, you know, came in and said hi. Like, that was, that was, um, uh, that was neat. That was cool. That, that's, that's the best answer I have, I suppose. <laughs> my, uh, my surreal experience, it wasn't even like a live thing. Like, it really made me step back. Uh, one time I was interviewing DDP. Oh yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, he had my cell phone number and like the times got mixed up and I didn't realize he was calling and he called me and he left the message and he was like, yo, Chris, it's DDP, let's do this interview. <laughs> and I was like, like I played it for my friends. <laughs> I was yeah, like, look, totally. DDP is calling me. He's like, yo, Chris, DDP. <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> and then you have to step back and go, like, fucking, I, the kid on the couch on Saturday mornings at 10 years old would never believe that one of the guys on TV is calling him to talk. Yeah. You know, just have that moment of like, how did I get here? Well, and it's the kind of thing that, that you know, shows your bone of fides. As a, as a wrestling fan and journalist, because, you know, you've made it a, your business to be in a position to have that kind of access to those people and be trusted with that kind of access. And that's an indica indicator right there of how I get very, my friends would say I'm just sort of joyless <laughs> about some <laughs> things. I, I do, I often don't allow myself that reflection that you just had, because I try and 
just not get overwhelmed by it. And I try and have this very kind of sort of cold clinical distance, but yeah, it's true. I do have, I definitely have some voicemails, mm -hmm. you know, from Terry Funk, for example, just saying, you know, Herzog, <laughs> it's the funk man, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know, Jim Ross and I have had a lot of correspondence over the years and it is neat uh -huh. to kind of, if he's calling me, which hasn't happened a lot. I'm just saying there've been literally one or two times where he was right. calling me back, let's say, right. um, regarding a story and I'm with a friend at a bar and I'd be like, hey, look who's calling me. That's yeah, Jim Ross. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's certainly those moments and I'm sure they're saying in, in return, oh my God, you know, Chris <laughs> Illuminati is, is calling me. So who knows? <laughs> I, I, first of all, I think they think I'm making my name up because right. <laughs> they're like, for real? And I'm like, yeah. And then, and then I think like, and, and you try like, I also have this thing too, and I will admit it 100% that once I start, once I finish an interview with a person, like I automatically become a fan. Mm -hmm. Like unless yeah. I'm like, unless they're like a royal jerk off, then I won't, but I've never had that happen. And everyone never. has been like, no, never. Have you? you no, but I've interviewed, I've interviewed people who I've realized after the fact were assholes. Yeah. I mean, uh, no, I really don't. I don't think, at least I don't think so. I mean, I could go back and maybe look and see like what I've learned now, but like genuinely with me, I have this like, I, and maybe it's like a terrible way to go about things, but if you're cool to me, I'm, you're cool. Like you're okay. Like as long as you don't do anything personally, unless I find out you do something absolutely horrific, which has come out in wrestling recently. Like if you're doing absolutely right. horrific things, you're a horrific person. But like if some people kind of think you're a jerk, well then you probably, did something career-wise to rub them the wrong way. Yeah, it is tricky. I, I, I've, I've mentioned before that, you know, after I did a profile on Tessa Blanchard for The Ringer, the, the stuff about her being a bully and maybe even a racist came out. And I won't yeah. comment on that because I don't have the insight, but um, it made me think, okay, well, look, my experience with her was fine, um, but I'm also gonna not, not you know, discredit or doubt you know anyone who says that this was their experience with her but right it just makes me think okay maybe next time as a journalist there's something i didn't probe deeper into because i was not doing something hagiographic i was just really focused on one specific thing which was which was getting this picture of this person from the people who know her best mm -hmm. um, you know and i and i've mentioned how i've interviewed david Starr a few times and it turns out you know he's an admitted um not great guy to women, right? <laughs> so right. That yeah. makes you think like, what did I miss? What weren't, what wasn't I looking for? So I, I try and take those as instructive. And um, for the most part, everyone's been fun. I'm trying to, you know, there are guys who are really fun to talk to. I mean, I've interviewed Kofi a few times and he's great. And mm -hmm. Cesaro was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, there, there are some people that you really can tell they're a genuine spirit and, and, mm -hmm. Um, they're not overly polished. They're just who they are. So, um, do you ever have come, somebody come back to you about something you wrote and be pissed off? Certainly in my career in general, in wrestling terms. Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, geez. I mean, you know, in a sense, if the answer is no, I feel like maybe I haven't done my job uh, well enough over mm -hmm. the years. I mean, have you had that experience? No, no one's really ever come back uh, interview-wise. Uh, maybe I have written a couple things over the years, like responding to news and said some things that were like kind of, you know, jokingly dickish that, right. you know, kind of might have rubbed people the wrong way. But I've never done like a feature on somebody. I think it's mostly because <clears throat> a lot of your stuff, uh, you talk to a lot of people and then you write kind of, you know, you do a... Uh, 
profile of this person. Right. Whereas with me, I tend to do a, like a lot of one-on-one -on -one and everything you say is what you said. And it's there and it's on paper and it's on video and it's on podcast. And right. I, like, I'm not framing you. You're saying that, <laughs> you know, so like they can't be, they can only be mad at themselves. Not really me. I've got, sometimes yeah. people aren't crazy about, cause you, you, you know, the industry we're in, you got to use the like clickbaity kind of headline. And like, sometimes you're mm -hmm. taking like a three second thing from something and it's not necessarily bad, but they're like, is that really the focal point? It's like, well, look, I got to get people in the door and then they can yeah. listen and make their own decisions. But like, if I put, you know, Kenny Herzog says, everything's great. <laughs> like, no one's going <laughs> to no live, you know, like, you know, Matt Cardona said, I love everything. <laughs> like, it's not going to like, so with him and he was like, he never said anything about anything that I did, but with him, I kind of made it like, cause he did talk about himself being like the bad guy of uh, collecting. Like people hate him for the stuff he does. Sure. Because unlike other collectors, he buys stuff and he even says like, I fucking rip it open and I breathe and I let it, I let it breathe and I play with it. You know? So I had to make that the actual headline, but he had a, no problem with it, but like, sometimes that's what you got to do. You got to take the one, you know, you got to get him heat. Headlines have, headlines have become a very, um, very dulled and blunt. You know, the headlines, mm -hmm. there used to be, of course, an art without being the New York Post about it. Right. Having worked in the alt weekly business for several years, you know, we really prided ourselves in being, you know, a little, a little cute and playful with maybe with our, with our wordplay in the headline. And then we could use the deck to kind of be more descriptive. Now it's what used to be the deck or the subhead and I guess in regular parlance has now become the headline of just, you know, very matter of fact. So-and-so says, this is how they're doing this. And let me tell you five reasons why you're going to not like, you know, and it's. Do you know whose fault that is? Jesus. No, close, Facebook. Yeah. Because it won't get picked up if you're any clickbaity or kind of, you gotta like put it right out there. Like you can't, it, the, the one thing you might be able to get away with is like, Kurt Angle names who his dream opponent would be. Mm -hmm. You can kind of get away with that, but you can't like, you can't put any like pronouns in there or things that are like gonna like trick people into thinking something because then you can put it on Facebook, but it's not gonna get picked up or passed around because they want very obvious. And that's unfortunately where most traffic comes from. So you gotta like kind of do the Facebooky. this, the person said this with this and this and it's be very honest. I mean, it's impossible. I don't know how any of us, any of the models uh, for digital content sustain themselves and it, it, the places you work for, I work for. Mm -hmm. uh, when I worked in print, which was the first basically half of my career, you were competing with just, you know, several other publications that were on the literal newsstand or buying for subscribers. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have, to, if you had something exclusive, it likely was pretty exclusive to you. Now, yeah. So you can, I can say that this interview I did with so so was, was exclusive. Yes, technically, because it's exclusive to my literal person, but it's really right. not that exclusive in the in the context of the publication because mm -hmm. they just did literally fifteen other hits of that same yes. with different blogs and everything. Yeah, and everyone who participates in a in a in a phone conference, you know, with Triple H, let's say, about what's going on in NXT, if they get one little question in there that's just theirs, they can theoretically argue that they're, they got an exclusive. And right. so uh, it's, 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 just a, it's just a crazy ecosystem. Yeah, it, it's nuts. Uh, before, uh, before we like wrap things up, let's talk about your podcast and what you do on there. Ooh. Yeah, this is, this I, is now the me time. I do not do what Jeffrey Tubin does, <laughs> oh, to be God. clear. 
Um, you know, when I really read that at first, you know, when you first saw the story break, I was kind of like, oh, it must have been an accident. <laughs> and then you realize it was no accident. And when, so if that were 15 years ago, when do you think the first Dick Zoom guy would show up on the uh, independence? Like, who's the first? <laughs> when does Dick Zoom show up in Mid South? <laughs> or Zoom Dick or everyone? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, let's get the syntax right, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm amazed this didn't actually happen first to, to a wrestler. Um, yeah, or somebody, or sports, like, you know. Yeah. No, said it's it just happened to just like a nerd <laughs> journalist yeah, with a huge name who everybody knows but right right no no of course of course I, and, and i don't mean to pile on him i'm sure he's gonna you know have a have a be in sort of an agonized state for for a long time to come but mm. my podcast okay so the deal was and i want to give a little background of this because we talked a lot about the writing Go and outside outside of People, if, if people have seen things I've written lately that maybe have been picked up by wrestling blogs, it's actually mostly been for my day job, for entrepreneur, where I've managed to finagle ways to say, hey, you know, early in the pandemic, I'm talking to Corp Bauer of MLW about how they're going to survive as a mid-sized promotion without live shows. And I'm talking to Brandy Rhodes about how AW Heels is this inclusive thing for women at an era where that's an important thing. And while speaking out is going on, I'm talking just recently to Gallows and Anderson about their small business enterprise essentially mm -hmm. that that's that they have sort of encircling themselves um i haven't done a lot of stuff outside of that like i like i was accustomed to doing for the better part of the last decade um and that's a symptom of just a lot of different stuff it's covid it's um it's you know companies cutting budgets for different things including for freelance and and not you know um and absorbing departments into other departments and having to run things up very complicated flagpoles and all this stuff so i just sort of didn't want to rest on my laurels and i didn't want to wait for permission to talk about the things i wanted to talk about as it concerns wrestling because i love the sport i always am concerned about the sport's welfare and the welfare of the people in it and i also just as i'm a fan i'm always thinking about what's what is entertaining the fans and what's not entertaining the fans and, and what's divisive for fans and i said you know i i i think i can talk i've i had you know i have some some amateur experience in in, broad, in radio broadcasting and so let me see if i can pull this off thankfully uh court at mlw was nice enough to give me an opportunity and a platform um, with mlw radio network so i launched outside interference with kenny herzog um a couple months back, I got my seventh episode now. I'll, I'll eventually lose count, hopefully, if it runs long enough. Coming up this Tuesday, it's an election-themed episode. Um, the episodes typically get sort of topical, but I also break away and talk more about just what's going on in storyline land and um, also just go just riff a little bit in general. But, you know, for example, I've had Joe Koff of Ring of Honor, uh, COO of Ring of Honor, talk about restarting into the pandemic. I've had uh, adult film star Carter Cruz talk about how the porn industry made great strides in um, protecting its female talent because no one else outside of porn was advocating for them. That vis-a-vis -vis what wrestling needs to do for for speaking out. I've done uh, you know interview with an epidemiologist <laughs> to try and you know persuade people about what they need to think about when you're restarting it. Uh, you know industries like wrestling in the midst of a pandemic, and that's you know that's the sort of thing you're gonna get along with just a, again a little bit of fun playful commentary on just the more insular world of what's happening in the ring. Um, and 
I guess that's about all I could say. You could find it on all the places, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> Apple, Spotify, <laughs> Stitcher, iTunes, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and MLWradio.com is the clearinghouse for it too. I don't mean to bore you too much longer with any of this. I mean, that's the deal. I'm on no. Twitter at Kenny Herzog, where I'm always updating about the podcast. But that's good. Plug anything you want. I don't fucking know. Mm-hmm. I, you know. Uh, I got one last question for you. It's wrestling related, even though we said this show's not about wrestling. We talked about wrestling. But oh, I, I just kind of popped into my head while you were talking. Uh, let's fast forward. Let's give it five years. Let's fast forward five years from now. But virus is gone things are back to as normal as they can be. What does professional wrestling look like? Oh, that's an awful question. (laughs) (laughs) I think it looks inclusive. Okay. I think it looks, um, I think it looks like it was starting to look like before the pandemic where you felt where a lot of small promoters felt, um, emboldened and and uh empowered and mm-hmm. you know um and there was a renaissance of something that felt like a small scale version of of what territories used to be without you know while that could be independent literally of of the larger companies doing what they do well because there's room because i think you're going to see the fragmentation of of streaming and broadcast and all that sort of sort itself out in a way where everyone kind of fits into their niche and it's more of a of a neat puzzle than just mm-hmm. a, a mesopotamic mess mm-hmm. and um that's right i said <laughs> mesopotamic mess but i think i think inclusivity is going to be a big thing and i think there's going to be hopefully some more um you know union protection for talent and some reform in, in general across the industry but um, and hopefully we'll weed out some of those bad apples and work on the things that need to be worked on systemically, work on vetting um, talent more aggressively so that we're letting you know, the good in and, and keeping the bad out. And, mm-hmm. um, and hopefully, main, and I, I don't know if this is going to happen in five years, but I hope that finally in the mainstream, whether it's mainstream media or mainstream culture vultures, um, you know, consider wrestling to be something that is t- can tell us a lot about what's going on in our society and be a real, um, another input to really be able to, you know, survey our culture. I like it. It's like a little utopia. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, you made me. I mean, I, mean I, I don't, you know, meanwhile, I, I just, <laughs> all I do is report on the things that I think are rot. That's, I mean, no, but I mean, like, you know, we, you and I are trying to bring the, sport into the casual conversation once again like i think we're progressing to make it you know um five to ten years ago if you told people you wrote about wrestling they'd be like uh what right, but now right. They're like, oh cool you know so just that jump from moving you know forward has helped yeah so. i have to tell you i don't mean to, to digress on that but i think it's maybe interesting is that yeah when i first would talk with say wwe pr six, seven years ago, there were a lot of conversations of, you know, God, what's your opinion about what we could do to get more on the radar for, uh, you know, folks like Sports Illustrated, because they just still sort of view us in this certain way. And um, now, now look, yeah, <laughs> now, yeah. now ESPN is basically a broadcast partner of WWE and, yeah. and, you know, SI and CBS Sports, et cetera, all have dedicated spaces to cover yeah. wrestling, albeit not dedicated enough to, um, you know, bring in, uh, you know, fully vested, yeah, <laughs> you know, staff to be to cover it, but I digress. Right, right. Well, Kenny, it was great talking to you. 
Chris. Uh, I enjoyed this and um, we're going to link everything so people can find you uh, in the actual article. Thanks. And always, uh, I'm probably going to have you on 25 more times. Hopefully that show goes, goes that long. Well, <laughs> when, you get, when you get the feedback and when you see how a little traction the episode uh, slash article gets, you might change your mind about that, but I appreciate not, it. Not true. Not true. I, I have a feeling this is going to be my top episode. Mm, yeah, a little top MJF. I think, yeah, I think you're right about that. <laughs> I think uh, it will. <laughs> All right, Kenny. Thanks, Thanks Chris. man. Right. And that brings another episode of Not About Wrestling to a close. Guests of the Not About Wrestling show stay in their own damn houses. If you like the show, please share it on social or leave a review on iTunes. And remember to subscribe to Not About Wrestling on YouTube. Just go to youtube.com backslash brobible and find the Not About Wrestling section. Thanks again for listening or watching. And see you all next week. Well, I won't, I won't see you at all. You know what I mean.